0: All right, Pilates Elephants, I am here with Amy Hedger. Amy, welcome.
1: Hello, Raph. How are we doing?
0: Doing pretty good. (laughs) That's good. Uh, We're going to talk about fitness Pilates. So um, why don't you just start by introducing yourself to the Pilates stratosphere, please.
1: Um, yes, my name is Amy. Um, and I, well, I probably wouldn't say myself that I'm a fitness Pilates teacher, which I, yeah, I definitely am, but I probably would say that I'm more functional, um, functional strength reformer teacher. Yes. And, um,
0: so is that, that's how you define yourself. You don't really think of fitness.
1: I definitely think it is fitness, but I don't know. I think there's a, um, there is like a bit of a, uh, I don't know. Maybe like people think that fitness Pilates is just jumping up and down and doing things, not thinking about things properly. And there's no intention behind it. And Mm. I think there's so much more to it. Like it is, it helps your life so much uh, with the functional movement and the strength training with it. But yeah, um, yeah, okay. Let's just say I'm a fitness.
0: So you feel like there's a little bit of a negative emotional valence with the term fitness pilates?
1: Yes, I would say so. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, let's change that. Yes. So. Um, <laughs> that was the sh- the world's shortest uh, introduction. That was really quick. I don't think I, I even Iranian said anything I'm really. A fitness pilates
1: teacher. <laughs> <I'm a> fitness <laughs> pilates teacher. <laughs> well, <laughs> Let me let me go back. Let um, me reframe. So
0: you well you you teach Pilates at Rise, Pilates in Melbourne. I do. Shout out to Laura. Shout out to Laws. And you also recently returned from an exclusive tour of Europe, Europe and the subcontinent.
1: Correct. Yes. Um,
0: teaching in London, I believe. I did.
1: Yes. Yes, yeah, so I taught and in you've London. Taught, you've
0: taught a bunch in London.
1: Yeah, I used to live in London two years ago, just before COVID. So I taught there for two years, and then had to come back because of um, COVID. And then I went back for two months um, this year in April. Um, in April, so yes, I do know what's going on over there. If you'd like to talk about that. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, maybe it'll come up, and um, yeah. it's an interesting point of comparison because I've had a couple of UK-based instructors on recently, and I'm trying to, I'm struggling to understand
1: what's going the, the, on over the there.
0: differences and similarities. Yeah, in Pilates, uh, and I know that yeah. UK Pilates, just like Australian Pilates or US Pilates, is not like one single thing. There's a spectrum, and there's different people doing different things. But um, yeah, it'd be great to get your perspective on on your experience over there because I know you taught in group reformer. Situation Was it Frame that
1: you talked well, about? Yes. It? Let's just say yeah. that going from KX to teaching in the UK was like hitting my head against a brick wall. That probably sums mm. it up. I think it's, defi- it's definitely okay. changing. Um, people were like, what the fuck is this? Uh, I don't know what this is. Um, and they came around and I definitely had my following. Most of them were Australians. Um, but I – and it's it's definitely <laughs> – it's definitely, um, it's definitely evolving. 100% it's definitely revolving. I think One Rebel, um, they do more fitness, uh, fitness Pilates. Um, uh, and, they're, they're, yeah, there definitely is some, some change going on there, but I would say that it is quite restorative and that people go and do their, uh, their quite intense um, classes like cycle Cycle is very, like, is very popular over there. Boutique gyms are very popular over there. Um, but Pilates is really, it's more of that restorative um, type of exercise that people want to have that to, um, uh, yeah, to restore so they can go and do their other, like, intense intense classes. Yeah. Yeah. But mm. it's still very slow uh, and still very internal cue if you will.
0: mm. Uh and so what do you And micromanagement
1: s- sorry and micromanagement, yeah. Like very you must like let's set up pre act pre 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 activation and mm-hmm. really set up the body um before moving and really isolating different parts of the body, not allowing the body to move freely or um uh yeah, it's quite it's quite restrictive and and yeah, it doesn't 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 really the the teachers and the classes are not really uh, encouraging strength in their classes. It's more mindfulness, which is nothing. There's nothing wrong with that, but more like trying to get people in tuned with their body, how they feel today. Um, trying to turn on their little toe before they move their earlobe, like <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, so let's so all right, so let's let's talk about that can of worms then. Yeah. So, and not, and I don't necessarily want this to get into a big discussion about UK, you know, compared to Australia Pilates. So let's just keep it more general yeah. about the different, the different styles of Pilates, you know, as you slash I see it in the world. And I'm sure we'll probably miss a couple and misclassify a couple. And if you're out there listening in Pilates elephant stratosphere and you think we've done an injustice, please reach out and correct me. I'm happy. Happy to be corrected on any of this, but mm-hmm. so yeah, what do you see as the the kind of the the pillars of the Pilates universe? What are the what are the different styles of Pilates out there? How would you classify them? Um,
1: well, I think in Australia, like fitness and strength based is the top of the pyramid, um, and you're seeing more of that these days. Uh, top of the pyramid classical- in what sense? As in as in it probably makes the most money. It's probably the most popular style of Pilates that's going around. Um, but then contemporary, like I mean, I mean that's that is contemporary, isn't it? Clearly I don't know my world. Well, nah, no,
0: no, you need you need to you know study up on your Pilates history. Yeah. So um, all right, so jump in if you'd anytime you want to add. But all right, so we have got classical which yeah. is the Romana style, like dance-based or very sort of dance-influenced Pilates, which is what most people think of as classical Pilates, uh, flowing transitions, doing it in the original sequence, mm. all the rest of it. Uh, then there is uh, what's called contemporary Pilates, but it I wouldn't I, – I really see contemporary in contemporary Pilates as a name, not a descriptor of – it's actual state. It's not an adjective. <laughs> it's yeah. a noun. So, uh, contemporary parties was the, the the generation that came after Romana. So this was the sort of nineties and early two thousands. This was like Moira Stott, no, now Merithew, um, you know, um, Ray Liskowitz, um, you know, like all of those kind of second generation teachers, that they that it's based on classical, so it's still kind of a bit dancey, but it's also got that more sort of more exercise science circa nineteen ninety nine, you know, stuff infused in. So there's lots of transversus so abdominis abdom- activation and you know pelvic floor and all the, all the mm-hmm. rest of it. And they talk about stability and neutral spine, uh, and that's what I learned in Stop Pilates. And then there's fitness based Pilates like you teach. Mm-hmm. And then there's I don't What's know, there's more like
1: Who's Windsor? Uh,
0: Mari Windsor. She, oh, she yeah. uh she was kind of a second generation, I think. You know, she was kind of like active in the eighties and nineties, really, is my you know, I'm 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 pretty f- fuzzy on my Mari Windsor history, but I remember her infomercials. Oh, that's all you need to know, then. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Um, and all right, and then there's, I guess there's, I mean, there's a there's a whole bunch of other things. Like we could look at, you know, think about different elders and whatever. But the 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 pre Pilates stuff, maybe the Eve Gentry type stuff. Maybe there were others who did that as well. But like uh, that is not particularly classical or contemporary. But it's more like you say, kind of gentle and restorative, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know. My expertise on this is all pretty nebulous, but um, what, and then there's what we teach at Breathe Education, which is, we call it Contrology 2.0, which is basically it's Joseph Pilates' original Contrology, like not, not the classical version, which came after, but it's the Um, pre-classical. Yeah. So that's what we teach. All right, so I think we've kind of got all of the Pilateses in there, and then there's, of course, there's like there's subgroups of all those, but let's not get too, let's not make this a big Pilates. No, and there's
1: no like
0: because I don't think either of us.
1: I was going to say there's no like right or wrong way and whatever you're right, like, right. whatever you're really passionate about, whatever you, however you learnt, I think is, um, you know, if whatever you like to do, you, you will probably like to teach. But um, I think what I'd like to go over is the health benefits maybe of um, of fitness Pilates if you want to. Right. You know, so, after.
0: well, why do, well why, why do you think, I mean, why do you, why are you, your background is a dancer, right? Yeah, I just learned this about you recently. Mm-mm. I was surprised to learn it actually.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I thought you'd always be. If you came to my class, Raph, <laughs>
1: you would understand. You would understand. Absolute show pony.
0: <laughs> okay, like I, can, I, I understand the the show off part. That totally makes sense. <laughs> but I just don't see you pirouetting ever.
1: Hey, you know? I can do like, a damn you don't, good pirouette. You
0: don't. Okay,
1: <laughs> into a split on the floor. Maybe um, not anymore, but I used to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So tell me why you or you know why you were so attracted to you know this fitness style, this functional movement style of thing, this strength training aspect of Pilates. How did how did that grab you, and why why did you get into that?
1: Um, I think as a participant, as a client, um, I that's what I loved in classes, and I loved the I loved the whole experience in the class. Like I loved when. The music would go up, and the music would go down, and then you get your intense parts, and then and then you would you'd, the ebbs and flows of the class. And um, I think mainly to do with the dynamic of the class, where uh, you push through a mental, but well, a physical, but mainly mental challenge, that when you felt at the end that you did something that. Either you hadn't done before, or you didn't think you could. Um, you feel that rush of energy and confidence, and mm. I don't know that feeling that feeling that you can. Um, so I think that's that's why I started, and that's why I do love it. Um, and I've taught in I've taught different ways. Um, I and I would I would hands down say that I get the best results from my clients when they, when it's a stimulating environment where the music is, um, the music is, the music is loud, um, not too loud that you, they can't hear what you're saying, but it goes up, it comes, it goes down the, there is intense parts to the class. Um, and yeah, I, I, I can, I can see the, the difference with my clients of the strength results, uh, and they they just seem so happy, I guess, as well. They love to be challenged mentally and physically.
0: Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, what do you see as the benefits of that? Yeah, you know, that's a good segue, I reckon. Of of that, Yeah, you know, So happy, yeah. So why? How is that different to? I don't know, classical or contemporary or a more restorative style.
1: I just get bored, Raph. <laughs> I get very bored. But that's probably just my brain and I just need more and I just want to move um, and, like, be be challenged because I think that's really really important. But I'm not saying that, sorry, I'm not saying that those other styles are not challenging, Um, but I'm saying more restorative, uh, calming Pilates, flowy Pilates, doesn't challenge me to my limits. Um, mm. and if there's anyone out there that teaches a damn hard, good, restorative, flowy class that they're like, well, you can come to my class and I'll show you. Just message me and I'll come to your class. <laughs> show me. Um, show me
0: the way. I, I think and you know, I I don't teach that restorative style. And but so I can't speak for people who do. But you know, like you, I'd love to be correct on this, but my perception is that there's kind of like this thing, like with the upper traps, right? So, so many of us experience tension in our neck and shoulders from time to time, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the, there are two approaches to that. And one is to, to think about, okay, how can we deactivate the neck and shoulders and stretch it out and release it and relax it and activate all of the other muscles in different parts. Uh, and that would be like what I would think of as the restorative approach. Or you could think of it as a contemporary approach or whatever. But basically, we want to avoid stress in that area. You know, we're feeling stressed. Let's have less stress. Uh, and the other approach would be a strength training approach of like, okay, let's strengthen the living shit out of your upper traps and put some load through there. Mm. And uh then after you've had an incredible workout for them, they'll feel relaxed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, won't, they won't be as tense because you've worked them so uh and i'd definitely go for the latter and the reason i go for it is uh multiple but mainly science tells us that works that works better than you know relax your traps is hard to do but work your traps is easy and then they relax after so mm-hmm. and i so i think uh i think to me that's kind of a um, I don't know, like a, a specific instance of the more general principle, uh, of what, what I see as a principle of, well, actually, if you, if you feel like you're stressed and you need to relax, often a vigorous workout actually helps you feel mentally clear and relaxed more mm-hmm. than a kind of really gentle workout. Cause when you're doing a gentle workout, often for me anyway, I find it really, my mind just keeps going. I'm thinking about what whatever else is going on in my head. But if you push yourself to a certain point physically, it's like you, you literally cannot think, right? Mm-hmm. You just, you just are working, right? So there are, there's not a thought, not a, not a single thought in your brain. Um, when you're working, when you're working hard enough, it's just not possible
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: to overthink. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I really feel like after a really intense workout,
1: it feels it's, so much it better. It feels
0: like I've been cleansed. Like I totally get what Joseph was saying in his in return to life like of this internal shower. Right? I mean, physiologically that's not true, but I totally get the sense of I feel cleansed. Yep. You know, into, inside I feel like I'm fresh and clean, like yeah. I've had an inside shower. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah, 100%.
1: And I think people have different ways of de-stressing and different ways of uh um of of calming down their nervous system. Um so yeah, and it's not like that. Fitness Pilates is just like go 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 for forty five minutes. You know, you get your either your light lunges or your light um, your light light uh, spring um, exercises where you're flowing for quite a long time, and you're in the exercise for quite a long time, and you get in that more flow state. Um, and then you have your heavy like push pull where uh, it is a bit stop starty, but you have that chance to really like use all the ox- oxygen to force and pe- to use the force and power. Um, I think there is something, and Laura, um, sagas and I were talking about this, how, you know, your class can be hard and your class can be challenging. Um, I think society is th- I quite stressful as it is. So if you create an environment for people to come in and they can really push themselves um, and then at the end, uh, you know, have your legs in straps or have your mermaid or have your like, three minutes of that calming down the nervous system. Is it the central nervous system? I'm going to sound really stupid. Is it the central nervous system or is it the parod? What's that nervous system, Ralph?
0: The, Isn't the there two? The sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Yeah. Sympathetic yeah. is the, What's the difference? fight and the parasympathetic. Uh, it's, it's not really – they're not like different nerve tracts as such. No. It's just op- activating different um, neurotransmitters, um, so what would be so basically, uh, this
1: nervous system that you'd relax if you're calming everything down after exercise? Parasympathetic, okay.
0: Parasympathetic, yeah.
1: So I think that is something that is that is a really good thing to do after that. So they go on with their day and they feel that sense of calm before they either finish their day after their class or or start their their day after their class. Um, and I'm not saying that's like. Everyone must do stretching, Um, but that's what we've we've taken on at the studio to say. Like, this is what we want to do for our clients to just to calm that down. We're not saying that stretching is going to make you feel like doing legs and straps is going to make you feel any less sore the next day. There's, you know, we're not saying that, but uh, just to make them feel a bit more. You know, I've uh, my breathing has come down. I've relaxed, um, like the muscles in my face. Like maybe I've closed my eyes while I'm doing uh, legs and straps. So you know, we're not just smashing people. We do that hmm. during the class, but not the all end.
0: right, all right. So all right, so um, you know, disabuse me of my misconceptions here,
1: because um, I
0: thought that fitness Pilates was all about rah rah and just smashing people. Was I wrong?
1: No, you are absolutely correct. No, you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is about like there's a certain like, I like to be smashed. Like, I, like, if I go to a class, I like to be pushed to my limits. I like the teacher to go, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you stopping? What's happening there? What are you, like, why, why are you on that spring? Why are you on that weight? Why have you got three kilograms when you could be using eight? Like, what are you doing? But not everyone likes that. And that's where it comes to where you read your clients and, um, and and as well, like I had a conversation with um, someone um, about this, about how, you know, some people come into the class and they usually do work hard, but maybe they are, maybe it's their, um, uh, that's the time of the month or they're just tired and, you know, you've got a nine-hour cancellation policy. They can't cancel their class, but they're coming in because they don't want to miss their class. You can see the way they walk in that they're kind of like, I'm just here. So you leave them do their thing. You know, it's not like you're going over to someone and pushing them when you can clearly see that they are, Physically and mentally, just mm. done. You know, it is about reading your clients. Um, but yeah, like I, I think it is. I think it is something that it is our responsibility to really uh, understand how to load people correctly, um, and to help them understand why that they're doing the exercise through language and education in a very simple way. Obviously we don't want to be like you're halfway through doing a plank hold and we're telling them all the science facts about why they're doing a plank. Like they're just like, I don't care, hurry up, count me down. (laughs) Like so you you need to just give some simple little facts in there to tell people why they're doing them. Otherwise if you're just thrashing someone and doing like hard exercises for 45 to 50 minutes – they're like, why? <laughs> like, I know I feel great at the end, but why? So, if you're just giving them little facts throughout the exercise, of the reason why they're doing this exercise, the reason why the spring load is so strong, the reason why they're slowing down, and that's a good thing, um, then that is that is you know that's that's beneficial. And I think a lot of well, I don't know, I don't know if some people, some teachers, they understand why exercises are being put in for uh for functional benefits or whatever benefits. Um, but yeah, I think it is very important to educate uh our clients on the reason why uh they're doing strength based exercises. Um and then the why we're doing cardio exercises too. Like, why why are we doing mountain climbers? Why are we doing something? Like you're just doing that because you like us to like the clients think like, oh, you just wanna watch us die? Like but like, why are you doing cardio exercises? Because it helps reduce, um, like the chance of cardiovascular disease, and um, you know, there's so many more, so much more to it than just putting on the music and having a good time. Um, yeah, I think because all right, I, so let's let's yeah, talk about what you talked about there
0: uh, about strength. Let's let's jump. Yeah. I want to jump in on the on the strength thing. Um, and what you said about educating people about, you know, why it's heavy and why they're slowing down and why that's mm. a good thing, and I, I think that this is something that is value will be valuable for a lot of our listeners to think about. Which is like in Pilates, we talk a lot. Uh, well, I hear I hear people talk a lot about, you know, Pilates improves strength, and often they say like core strength or, you know, strength in general, strength for daily tasks and you know, whatever it might be but there's actually like a really precise um scientific you know definition of what it means to in- increase strength and there's also it's also precisely understood within exercise science to a pretty high degree like how to increase strength and i think most of the time in pilates we're not when we say we're strengthening people we're not actually strengthening and we're improving endurance mm-hmm. um and Past a certain point, we're actually not even improving endurance. We're just doing the same thing that we did before. We're not actually progressing and getting continuing yep. to get stronger or better endurance. So, I think, uh, yeah. So, th- I think this is something that a lot of listeners could probably, uh, if they don't know it already, will benefit from understanding. Which is all right. So, what do you mean by getting stronger?
1: Uh, well. On a on a like cellular level, or no, no, no. I
0: just mean like if I like, come to your class and I got stronger, like how do you know? Like what what do I experience that tells me I got stronger, or what do you see that tells me tells you I got stronger?
1: Well, uh, that you can do the exercise, and that I think we gauge as reformer instructors, we gauge it by the spring that you choose, um, and then if you're just if you're just flying through that exercise and it looks very easy for you, then we up the spring. And if you're using your two kgs and you're just like flying through them, we up, we up your, we up your weight. And, um, I think, yeah, whenever someone starts to get good at it, then that's when we go, right, I know you're loving being good at this, but it's Mm -hmm. time to up your spring and up your weight, um, or to advance the exercise if you're on the mat.
0: Right, and so this is a fundamental principle in exercise science called progressive overload, which says that when you uh, when you s- challenge the body with a stimulus, uh, you know often that will result in it getting stronger. But then if you continue, once you get stronger, that same stimulus is no longer challenging. Right? If you start with mm. your two two kilo weights and they give you, you know, a workout in your shoulders, like a couple of weeks later, you get stronger that's no longer challenging. So if you keep using the same two kilo weights, you stop getting stronger fairly quickly. Or if you keep doing footwork on the same springs, you stop getting stronger fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. So if you're still still on the same springs that you were on three months ago, you're not getting stronger. You're not getting stronger.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is where we need to really uh, concentrate on loading our clients right. Otherwise, we're going to lose them because they're going to be not stimulated uh, physically, but also mentally after like eight to 10, 12 weeks, they're just going to go, right, I'm going to try something new. Cause I'm bored. Cause I'm just like swimming through this class now. And you're just neglecting them too. Right, you know, so like you- it's quite a, it's quite, it's your, they come and you get these beginners and so amazing. It's such an compl- accomplishment for you as a trainer, as a trainer to um, get them doing the exercises that you want them to do. Uh, and then that's awesome. And then you've got your intermediates, or or the people who are strong in the room that are getting neglected because you're still you're just concentrating repeatedly on teaching people who are new um, how to do it, uh, which is amazing, and we should be getting as many people as we can to try be doing it, but then we're neglecting the people who are plateauing, and they need to be and they need to be All right. um, stimulated. So I think.
0: Well. A lot of people do stay. I mean, I know a lot of Pilates instructors who, and I'm thinking probably mainly of people who do kind of one on ones or duets and things like that, that their mm. clients stay for years or decades and they're not doing fitness Pilates. So there must be, you know, mm. other, other magic ingredients in that casserole there.
1: Yeah. I think I am talking about but, group.
0: Right. All right. So in a group, and when, of course, in Australia, when we say group, we mean like 12 plus or 10 plus reformers in a room, right? Like so. Mm. Uh, yeah. How many do you, how many does it rise at the moment? We have 10? 12. 12? Yeah, 12. Um, And so when you're, like, I know myself, like when I was teaching a lot of group reformer, um, when I had a studio, I never had this kind of progressive. This was like seven, eight years ago now, I never had this kind of progressive mindset. I had a mindset of it's a casual drop-in class. So every class is kind of like a blank slate and I just start from scratch and go, oh, what will I teach today sort of thing. And mm. sometimes there's like, oh, this same person rocks up in your class and you think, oh, crap, we did a lot of lunges yesterday and I was going to do the lun- same again, but this person's <laughs> smashed from yesterday when we did lunges, so I have to do something else. So there was sometimes like a tiny bit of continuity for me, but mostly I never had a plan of like, okay, I'm going to work these people up to doing snake or I'm going to work these people up to doing, you know, scooter on all the springs or, or whatever, you know, like, so do you, do you treat it your classes as a progression? How do you progress people? When you say adding springs, is that just done on an individual basis?
1: Um, so we have level one, level two, level three classes, and we have level one, level two, level three spring, um, choices. So who come to level one, we have level one and level two springs. And then who come to level two, it's level two and level three springs who come to level three, which is once a week, um, which we want to put more, more on, but, um, it's level three springs. And then if they need to jump to Level two springs, they can if they want to, cause it's bloody hard. But yeah, level one's um, beginner, level two is intermediate, level three is advanced. Um, so we don't mm-hmm. do, we wouldn't go right. Um, it's, yeah, it's a new class. It's not a new class. Uh, as in like, we, we wouldn't build up to a snake. Like we wouldn't say, mm-hmm. Oh, we're mm-hmm. doing a plank to pike this week and then we'll do, um, Snake next week. Like, it's not that because there's always different people in the classes. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is, it's based on, it would be based on spring load um, mm. and added on little advancements as well.
0: Mm. And so, for you, like, what is, what do you love about Pilates? Because, you know, I can, I, I think I can hear the, the, the sort of, Shrieks of derision, you know, coming from some corners of the world, like oh, it's not real Pilates, um, mm. you know. To be Jesus honest, Raph, turning over in his grave.
1: I don't even say that I teach Pilates. I don't think. Um, I definitely use the reformer as a piece of gym equipment. I mean, like it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's literally all the machines at the gym put into one. It's amazing. So, uh, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't even say. That I teach Pilates. I teach mat, but it is, uh, it is more, it is more functional uh, fitness, I guess, more movement. Um, right, so
0: where do you think, like, where do you think the line is there? Like, what makes something Pilates or not Pilates? What do you do you care about that? Do you think that's an an interesting question or not?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. I don't care. Like, I just like. I, I mean, if someone came to my class, I mean, there's been many a time people have like, "This is not Pilates," um, and I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, sure, I guess it's not." I, I teach a teaser. That's 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 JP, isn't it? <laughs> um. Right, this is
0: this is this is awesome. All right, so great. So you don't even care if it's Pilates. Some people think it is. Some people think it isn't. What does it matter? Um but it's on a reformer, yeah. which is an awesome piece of equipment, and you yeah. use it as a piece of gym equipment yeah so what, what do you mean what do you mean you use it as a piece of gym equipment
1: like like I think of footwork as leg press um I do like back rowing on all springs like it's an ergo machine um, I do uh like reverse pike to planks where your feet are on the carriage and hands are on the rails or the floor, like as if like you had your feet on like the seat of an ergo machine and you're lifting your hips up and down. Um, I I don't so know. that's like,
0: like an ab and hip flexor exercise. Yeah, yeah. Like you're facing the pulleys.
1: Gets Yeah, really gets into them abs. Um, I don't know. I just don't, I just think there's a stigma behind this slow controlled um, movement that I I want people to move freely in the class and I don't, I feel, yeah, I would say there's a stigma behind Pilates it being um, like the, these internal cues and these slow controlled, um, I don't know, I just don't feel like I'm a part of the, industry in a way. Like I feel like I'm really removed from it because I don't teach traditional like breath or those exercises or, um, or you, yeah, use all the internal cues and the pre-activation and all that. So I kind of feel a bit like out of it, I guess, which I'm happy to, by the way, I'm very happy to be out of that. I don't want to teach that kind of Exercise, not that it's so bad. Tell me
0: tell but. me what you, you, your thoughts on this. So this is great. I mean, I, I'm loving this because it, it makes me think about the conversation I had with Laura Gator a couple of weeks back about body image and uh, you know, we talked about basically uh, diet culture is a problem where we're basically saying to everybody, oh, you should be thin, you should eat less, you should have abs, that's what makes you a good person. And so, yes, mm. that's not a good thing. But then also, well, what if you actually just have a goal of having abs and why can't you just have a goal of having having your body look a certain way if you want to? You know, why is that a bad thing?
1: No, it's you know, not so, a bad thing.
0: Like So um, just in the same way as we shouldn't, you know, and this is what Laura and I were talking about, just in the same way as we shouldn't shame people for being fat, like that's a terrible thing to shame someone for being fat, but we should also shouldn't shame people for not wanting to be fat. Right? Let's mm. just not shame people. You know, let's, let's just just let them shame. Do do them. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of what Laura and I talked about. And we didn't come up with any great solutions to the problems of the universe or anything, but you know, we we agreed it was a nuanced situation where mm. it's uh you know, there's not necessarily a right answer. Um, and so thinking about this, uh, situation with that you're in within, re- in relation that you're describing in relation to fitness Pilates and you are not even necessarily thinking of yourself as teaching Pilates per se, although you certainly can teach Pilates. Um, mm. that tell me what you think about this stigma about the, you know, so this is what, what made me think about my conversation with Laura is where you said about there's a stigma around slow and controlled movement. Mm. so tell me what you mean by that
1: well going back to the shame thing for a second sometimes in classes i feel like i'm strength shamed so Mm. like i won't be given yeah like i won't be given and i was talking to someone else who works at kx up in um malolaba marichidor something starting with m in queensland and um she was saying how she came down to melbourne and she was doing class and um uh, she wasn't saying that she – she didn't tell me what studios she was going to, but uh, she found that the classes uh, were so um, – uh, let's just say like de-stimulating. Is that a word? De-stimulating? When you're not stimulated enough and when it's not like
0: – Unstimulating?
1: Unstimulating. <laughs> I make up words. So I didn't concentrate in school. Um, but you – like I feel like – it, it is now. Um, I feel like nice. when I go to class and she said she's going to class, she's not giving, she's not given the spring option that's right for her, that's going to challenge her. And also, we feel bad about like working hard and we feel bad about lifting our knees into a full plank because we can do a full plank, or a half plank. Um, and I don't feel like there's an encouraging, um, and this is I, I'm I, I'm talking for, talking from personal experience I go to a lot of classes um, but yeah I I I feel bad because if there's beginners in the room which I go to intermediate classes and I go to classes that are like uh, descript they are their description is intermediate or um, you know like a strong class um, it's not like I'm in the wrong class for my level. Um, yeah, I feel like, I feel bad that I, I feel like I, I'm not, I'm pushed to my limits and I feel bad if I lift my knees or if I do something harder because I'm going to make the person next to me feel bad. And that just might be my hmm. internal, like, I'm just thinking about too many people, too many people's feelings, but, um, I don't feel like there is an encouraging environment in the studios for people to, um, take like the, the harder option. And that might be, be, just inexperienced teachers or it might be, um, I don't know, could be anything. You just, you never know. But, um, yeah, sometimes I feel strength shamed. That's where that went. Um, hmm. Do we want to say anything else that's about that? That's really
0: interesting that you, yeah, that's really interesting that you say that. And I think I know, I I, I know, totally know what you mean. Um, but I, I think I know where that might come from for some people because I do get the, the question a lot. Like people DM me and say, oh, you know, the general gist is okay, I've got these beginners in my class and they're from a fitness background and they just want to like jump, you know, four levels ahead and do like a full plank when they can't even hold a perfect neutral spine yet. Or they want to, you know, add on all the springs when they're not in great alignment. And so they sort of, mm. and, and this is genuine concern from these instructors because they've been told that it, you must have good form. Before you before. add load, yeah. before you add load, right? And so it's dangerous to add load, you know, when you don't have the technique base, you know, for it. And so, you know, no, no disrespect to people who have. Uh, if you've DM'd me that question, you know, no disrespect whatsoever. That's what you were t- told in your training. It just turns out to be not true. Um, that you must have perfect form before you add load. But I, I I guess so I guess what I'm what what I think, Amy, when you say that, when I hear you say that, is it's probably not the instructor like thinking that you're a bad person or that you know, anything like that. They're just probably just shitting themselves, <laughs> going, fuck. I hope this yeah. woman doesn't, you know, break herself in half <laughs> with all of those <laughs> all of the all of the springs on for back rowing. You know? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people are just scared to give people those options because like we're on a moving piece of equipment, like you don't want people to fall off or, you know, and that's, that's, you know, that's the, the 101 to reform. That's what you first learn. I'm pretty sure in the cert for don't you wrap about the safety of the, of the, of the reformer and telling people like what, like how it's used. And, and, and of course, like you, you do need to keep your clients safe. But if you see there's someone in the class that's like, well, <laughs> they've done this before then, you know, give them that option, but I think it does come down to being an experienced teacher where you're catering for the, this is going to sound, there's a better word for this, for the weaker person in the room or the stronger person in the room. Let's not say weaker, let's say deconditioned or inexperienced in the person in the room to the strongest person in the room. And like that's where, but also that's where like class descriptions come in and levels and intermediates and whatever too. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I looked it up and um, what, did, what was the word you said? D... Do de- something or other.
1: De-stimulate anyway. it. Is it a word?
0: De-stimulate. Yeah, no, no. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, it's not a word. I <laughs> do make up words. You can you, <laughs> you can de you can destigmatize.
1: stigmatize Oh um, yeah,
0: and you yeah, but anyway, it doesn't doesn't matter. doesn't
1: doesn't rail It's not relevant. So <laughs> uh,
0: I, I knew what you meant.
1: You know what I mean. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think
0: uh, you know I'm I'm with you. I I I think. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think it's. It's a challenge, though, for for most instructors to you know like another thing that a lot of instructors ask me or say they have they struggle with is dealing with a wide range of abilities in the same class, right? So if I've got someone who's pretty deconditioned mm. and then someone else in the room who wants to put all the springs on back rowing, mm. you know. How do I teach basically two different sessions to those two different people? <laughs> you know, yeah, at the same time. But you
1: don't though, because um, you just so, you teach the so, same exercise, but you change right, so, spring and the weight and the. You know, there is. it's There's easy ways of doing it.
0: All right, so hit me with a couple of easy ways of doing it.
1: Like back rowing. Um, so
0: we're so, so we're in an so we're in an intermediate class, and I'm there doing my beginner thing, and I'm kind of clumsy and I don't really get the movement yet and I'm kind of struggling with it. And then, I don't know, my daughter Bintu's next to me on the reformer. She's got two springs on on back rowing. She's smashing through it, yawning, you know, almost (laughs) looks like she's falling asleep. Like, what do you do?
1: (laughs) Well, for one, I'd have a discussion with the mother and say, you know, if it was their first class, I would say, you are – uh 100% welcome in here but um just letting you know you might not get the most out of the exercise cuz this class is structured for people who have done this at least 8 to 10 times um and experienced uh people uh, we won't we won't be using a lot of um uh wording or uh like exercise preparation to get you into the Uh, into the exercise, it's going to be pretty bada bing, bada boom. We're just going to go, 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 go. So there are some things that you might not understand. So you, yeah, I can give you your class back or you can join and be, and be patient with, um, I'll get around to you when I can. Um, but if, yeah, if that all went to plan and she was in there, um, I, um, I would, I, I would, I would be patient with her, but I would go over to what do we call her name? Binto? I'd go over to and yep. I would help, I would, I, would, I would progress her first before I progressed her mother. Um, as long as her mother's safe and she looks like she's doing the exercise uh, properly to a point like she has the body language that she's getting something out of it, her face looks like she's relatively happy, I'd go to to first because it's an intermediate class. If it was a beginner class. I'd go to her mother first. Um, I would help her and change the exercise for her. I'd help her with the coordination. I would, um, uh, yeah, so it would definitely change from a beginner class to an intermediate class, 100%. Huh. All
0: right. I love that. All right. So that's sort of like basic heuristic number one is you focus, in the beginner class, you focus more on the beginners. Yeah. In the intermediate class, you focus more on the intermediate people. And even if somebody shows up into the immediate, intermediate class and they're pregnant or they're a beginner or they've got a sore knee or whatever, it's like, well, that's not really what this class is for. So I'm going to focus on the people who showed up for the class as advertised, which is an intermediate class where we're I'm going to kick your ass. Mm. And so I'm going to focus on kicking asses. And then if I've got any time left over after that, I'm going to help you figure out where to put the straps or. Yeah. You know,
1: At the whatever. end of the day, the client has to take responsibility as well. Like we can't, as much as we have to, like we have to be very, very accommodating of people. Um, the client has to take responsibility for themselves of what class that they book themselves into. Um, so if it is a if it is intermediate, intermediate class and they haven't been before, or it's a second class, then you know you have the quick like. Uh, Nice chat to them, letting them know like we, we can put the session back on their account if they want to, you know, what I said before. Mm-hmm. When it comes to beginner classes, um, it is about being um, slow with what slow with what you're saying, accommodating of, of everyone. And then if you have someone in there that I know that is strong, I will set up everyone properly first. I'll make sure that the whole class is doing it Um and then i will go to her and say actually probably wouldn't even like it depends who's in the class it's always you know it always depends who's in the class but if i say this is your level 1 option level 2 if you would like to take this advancement you can do this and then mm-hmm. and then yeah and then i would go over to someone and if they were like like flying on that i'd go over and give them another advancement but yeah i'd probably mm-hmm. only give one advancement in a level 1 class because people are still at different levels mm, and they still the, come to that class because of schedule,
0: personal schedules. And the intermediate folk are probably easier to advance because you can just go, hey, so-and-so, whack on an extra spring, would you? Or, yeah, 100%. You know, straighten your legs or whatever.
1: Yeah, so much easier. Um, all right.
0: So so in your intermediate class, and I know you've been influenced by Nathan Ross-Reese, right, because he came and did mm. workshop at – Yep. Uh, in fact, you and he and I were chatting at James's – Launched the other night,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, which was awesome, uh, and shout I can't out believe JT. I feel like we've yeah, shout out to James <laughs> and to Nathan, and I can't believe Amy. You and I, feel, I feel like we've known each other for a couple of years, but like we we were at James's launch for Platform last weekend or the weekend weekend before, and it was like it was literally the first time we've ever met in person. And I was I like, know. Oh, who is this person?
1: I didn't even know that until I saw you. I was like, oh, I actually haven't met you in real life. <laughs> Yeah,
0: so weird. It's so weird in this internet age we have these like relationships with people. I know it's it's just become totally normal that like you talk to people online. Anyway, and you never met them. We digress. So, um, so you've been influenced by Nathan, and he came and did a workshop at Rise with you and Laura Mm -hmm. and the team. And Laura actually has changed her business based on this thinking that you're sharing at the moment. So, Mm. talk to me a little bit about the process of like. Or, what you know, how Rise changed, like what it was before, what it is now. Yep. And, and yeah, well, firstly, let's just start with that. What was the change?
1: So, um, the classes were called, we have two class types. They were called Flow and Fit. Um, the Flow was a bit more mobility, a bit more flowy, uh, still could be hard, but just more, um, whatever your, I think, and, um, hopefully, Laws won't get annoyed at me for saying this, but I'm pretty sure whatever your, uh, whatever your understanding of flow was, you could teach that. Um, so, and also I came into the studio when this was already established. So this might have, this might be wrong. Um, sorry, laws of it is. Um, but yeah, so more flowy, more like you, you, you kind of, you flow from this exercise to this exercise, you have your mermaids, you have, yeah, like a, more of a flow. <laughs> Should I say flow? One more time, flow. And then you had fit that was a bit more, (laughs) uh, fit was just a bit more like athletic and um, you could use jump boards and you like it was more cardio-y. And then, then, yeah, so Nathan came and did a workshop, one of his workshops with us. um, And it was uh, a strength-based workshop of how to incorporate it in your class. And that's where we changed our class types um, to level one, level two, and level three. Um, and that's why we changed our springs as well from beginner intermediate advanced to level one, level two, level three. And the whole concept was to keep leveling up and to keep, um, uh, to keep like, yeah upping your springs, upping your weights. We had some 1.5 kilograms. No, we had, no, I'll be taking them away soon. We had one kilograms and I took them outside because I didn't want anyone to use them. And then I came back from London and then made their way back up in the, (laughs) in the studio. And I was like, no, I'm taking these back down again. Um, uh, but um, yeah, so then uh, we need to, I need to throw out the 1.5s now. There's not much difference between 1.5s 1. and ones. We don't need one kilograms in in reformer. We really don't. Um, interesting segue though. But platform JT his reformer, his reformer studio. He has um, so he calls his reformer. So he has two, two studios, two rooms, strength-based reformer and the run and weights room, um, really amazing studio. So if you live in Adelaide, go and check out that studio. It is sick. Um, and the strength-based reformer, they have, their weights are from 3 kilograms to 20 kilograms. And, like, when they teach, and I only did an intermediate and advanced um, class, so I don't know what like the fundamentals, they have fundamentals and um, restorative uh, class and then intermediate and advanced. And they set the bar quite high. They say, grab your weights, Um, don't grab lower than five or sixes. And this was in intermediate. And I think there's something to say about if you set the bar at that, people are just going to, people just do it and they just grab it and they just get on with it. You know, they're not like, oh, I must make sure that I can, do this before I grab this type of weight. So um, I don't know why I talked about that. Talked about weights and people, yeah, leveling yeah, so up. So you've so that's you've, the point.
0: So you've transitioned. So you, I mean, well, Laura has made made the decision to trans transition her studio to teach based on this strength progressive strengthening mm-hmm. you know, uh, methodology. Yeah, and you've been integral in you know redesigning those classes and. You know, Ed educating the, uh, the, the team and yeah. also clients there. So, so you know, that's a pretty significant change, like going from a flow-style
1: class
0: mm. to – and also a class where my impression was it was – yes, there was a class was called flow and then the other class was called fit – but really it was kind of, and this is the, the case at my studio when I ran as well, it was like basically every instructor's left to their own devices to teach it like whatever their interpretation of flow is or fit. And so yeah. now it's more regimented, right? It's more like, okay, here's what we do in a level one class, here's what we do in a level two class. Is that, is that the case?
1: Yep. Yep. It's, well, no, it is the same for level one and level two, um, but it's just like different springs and different um and you can things. have different all right. advancements. But, all right.
0: All right. But there's, uh, all right. So, sorry, uh, it's, but what I mean is it's quite, you've, it, there's Uh-oh. a more structured approach yeah, yeah, yeah. to sorry. the way that you deliver the classes now, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not just kind of like, hey, everyone, go with the flow, do whatever you want. No, it's no. More like, you have to do, way.
1: yeah, there's class structure and there's exercises that you have to tick off. Not exercises, but, um, you know, you've got a light lunge, you've movement. got light plank work, yeah, movement. Um, you've got horizontal pull, horizontal push, um, and you have to have a heavy leg um, and uh, you can do heavy planking work too. So it's got to have all those elements in there. Mm.
0: Well, I'd be right because I've got heavy legs. Sorry, cool.
1: <laughs> just lift your leg up. <laughs> um,
0: I, f- I feel them every time I do the ab. Um, all right, and so, so, so that's a fairly radical shift, right? Because it's going from a a flow style to a really strength, fitness based style of of programming and teaching. So, how did the how did the instructors sort of make the transition, and most importantly, how did the clients make the transition?
1: Well, the client. Well, um, yeah, Laura thought we'll probably lose a lot of uh, a lot of clients with this. Surprising enough, we actually didn't lose anyone. Um, uh, we are all of our. And these
0: are clients like this studio has been going like six, five years or something like this. Is a six years, long established studio with super regular clients. That have been doing these kind of flow style classes for ages, and then just like, how how long did this change take? Like, was this just like, I just rock up for my regular Monday class, and it's like, I'm sorry, we're not doing that anymore. It's now <laughs> this is now a level two class. So how did it happen?
1: No, there's lots of like, there's lots of emails that went out, um, lots of Instagram posts that went out to be like, we're leveling up. What these are the what the classes are going to be like. We'll have level one and level two. They're your um, more flow more flow classes. Um she uh, she I think laws kind of said like flow is more your level 1 and level 2 is you more fit mm. but didn't really it doesn't really turn out to be like that it's um like-
0: it's like when you translate into a foreign language and you're just learning it and you're like, oh, this word means this in English, but it's like it doesn't. Really it doesn't. Mean that. It kind of has its own meaning. It doesn't.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't at all. There's nothing flowy about level one. Um, yeah, so we didn't lose any clients, which was great. The um, company actually, the company, the studio actually flourished um, and, and the clients were seeing and feeling results. So, therefore, they were um being stimulated mentally and physically and so it kept them to keep going then we did a level up challenge and that brought them in even more and that kept them in even more and they they i mean Laura she's just like so smart she is just so smart with her business little brain in there um so she did a level up challenge and then that got people more people on board and got the clients to like keep keep up the um momentum uh, and then yeah so it's all going well now the including myself um the some of us uh some of our us we as teachers sorry we um we were a bit hesitant uh I don't like being told what to do, <laughs> I don't like being told how to teach, I like to teach however I want to teach um so I was like, I don't want to i want to teach whatever <laughs> anyway, I was already teaching that way anyway um but uh uh fortunately we have we had a lot of fresh breathe graduates um who were just willing and ready and open for not only feedback but for um for challenge and uh they were just like yep sure and they just they just dived into it and they were so good like we were we were we were absolutely Laura was so proud and so um, so shocked at how quick they uh, they picked it up and um, how strong of teachers they are now. Um, so yeah, it yeah it was definitely so great, so 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 great. But it was quite a risk. Like it was quite a risk. I think doing it in Melbourne with the way um, the way that. I don't, I don't know. Like, I might just be going a bit crazy, but I'm just seeing so many flowy Pilates classes, or the way that they are being um, maybe advertised on Instagram. Um, you know, it does seem like the the in fashion way of teaching is quite flowy. Um, I'm not so, sure, what is like, quite
0: a I risk? Don't, I mean, I don't get, a, I don't get around to what's happening in the studios, but what I see on Instagram, I'm not sure how representative that is. Because I think, like, strength-based work doesn't look that exciting. It's like
1: – What? Because
0: the excitement is in the doing.
1: Well, I get excited by that, right? I
0: mean, to me – yeah, of course. To you it does. To me it does, right? But it's like – I just think it's in – you know, it's it's inherently like the flow stuff is more dancey. You know, it's more it's more graceful. It's more pleasant to look at when somebody's good at it, you don't think so?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, aesthetically pleasing, yeah, You don't think it's more Insta-friendly? Yeah, sure. But then, like, wouldn't you think the general public who are not dancers, do they think that they want to do, like, do they, like... I think that's what people steers. Pe- that's what steers people away from doing bar. They're like, well, I'm not a dancer, so I'm not going to do bar. And so bar hasn't been very successful. So why wouldn't like the general public want to be strong and do something that is actually going to strengthen them and also give them beneficial goals for their future of like bone density and and everything? Why wouldn't they want that for themselves?
0: Well, no reason whatsoever. I think they would want it. A lot of people would want. I'd rather. It. But that. I just think like when, I'm, I guess I'm just saying. I guess I'm just saying when you when you say that you think that the flow style is there's a lot of flow teaching and and not as much fitness mm. i I just said like I'm not sure if that's if that's truly representative of what's happening in the studios or it's more just like what you see on Instagram, which is not necessarily the same thing,
1: yeah, I've been to a lot of flowy classes though, okay. I'm the devil's um, advocate, so I think
0: what, okay, so so what's different about a flow class because than a fitness class? because in my mind, you can make a fitness class flow. Flow is just about minimizing the transitions and making it you know making the class program flow what do you how do you see it differently?
1: You're not there for very long like you're you're going from mm-hmm. you're going from a lunge into something else quite quickly and, and yes, Mm -hmm. it's amazing for endurance and um, I guess uh, fitness level to keep moving and to keep that energy up for the whole time, but you're not in an exercise for long enough to uh, strengthen that muscle group. Mm
0: -hmm. And yeah, you're just going from exercise to exercise. class.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well that's not the way we teach flow. like when i when I think about flow, I think about building layers like you might start in a lunge stay and you might start in a moderate spring or go to a moderate distance that everyone can do, and then you do a few of those and you go, okay, everyone seems to be doing this, well, let's go a bit harder, And then you add a spring or you add a extra level of depth or whatever. And you just keep adding a layer, adding a layer, adding a layer adding a layer until everyone's struggling. And then you go. Okay, let's do five more here, and then you move on to the next one.
1: That sounds like my type of flow. Yeah.
0: Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I think we use the same word to mean different things. Yeah. So, what do you what do you mean when you say flow?
1: I think, like what I just said before, I think that that you just move on to a different. Like you move you just on. Do a f- you move Yeah, on, right. like you're doing it. Like you're doing a million different exercises, and you're mm-hmm. you're never being in the exercise for long enough to yeah to get to to strengthen that muscle group and there shouldn't be like 15 exercises in a in a class if you're like it's a 45 minute class i i mean i don't i don't think so anyway you're just not in them for very for long enough i think but that kind of flow mm. is a good type of flow Raph. that's yeah and we could be talking about different types of flows
0: mm. Huh. So, all right. Well, you did say before that you want to talk about the health benefits of of strengthening and cardio. So, let's just rattle off a few of those before we okay. finish. Eh? Okay. Do,
1: Do you want to go? Rattle? I don't. You go. <laughs>
0: well, uh, when I when I was doing my degrees, basically uh, in exercise science and exercise physiology, basically, I felt like it was just year after year of the lecturers. Making us read these propaganda papers about why everybody in the world should literally be exercising every day of their life. Because it was just paper after paper after paper after paper saying, Oh, and guess what? You live longer. And guess what? You get less heart disease. And guess what? You get less Alzheimer's. And guess what? Get less, get less diabetes and you have less back pain and you have better mental health and you'd lose weight and you and, 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 and I was like, holy shit. Why would you not do this? Mm. Why would you no not brainer. do this? <laughs> it's fucking crazy. And so, and, and on most of these studies, you know, it's, this is not universally true, but it's pretty close that there is a dose response relationship or there's a, there's a, a, a correlation between fitness or strength and the benefits. So it's not the case of just like do some movement and it's better. Well, in fact, sorry, it is the case that if you do some movement, it's be- definitely better than doing no movement. Like anything mm-hmm. is better than nothing. Like everything is better than nothing. Yeah. But uh, when they, when they do these kind of longitudinal population based studies where they study like thousands of people over decades and follow them and see who lives and who dies and who gets heart disease and who gets diabetes and who doesn't. What they find is there is a close relationship between actual measured levels of fitness, like cardiorespiratory fitness, or you know one repetition maximum leg press strength, one repetition maximum chest press strength, hand grip strength, things like this. They find there is a very close correlation between those things and you know longevity and uh, health and stuff. And so it is the case that. If we you know lined up a thousand people and got them all to do their one repetition leg press max like basically the maximum they can leg press one time you know and then we divided them into like low middle and high strength individuals that would be reasonably predictive of how long those people would live
1: hmm.
0: you know and and it's not there's nothing magic about leg press strength they could do the same with hand grip strength or whatever and it's it's just. Uh, so there's nothing ma- magic about having any particular muscle. It's just people who are stronger, I guess, you know, tend to be, you know, there's lots of metabolic benefits that come with all of that muscle mm. and stronger tendons and better capillarization and better cardiovascular health and all the rest of it. So it, it's, it's, yeah, it's not like specific to leg press. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do your leg press and you'll live forever. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah. So, so basically, and it's the same with cardio fitness. So people who are active, you know, who do more steps live longer, but also mm-hmm. people who are, so people who might do the same number of steps, but do it more vigorously, they live even longer, right? So there's, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a dose response relationship. So in other words, the bigger dose you have of strengthening or cardio fitness, the more. Basically, the more years you get, and also the better health and mental, you know, mental and physical. Yeah, health I was going to say, can you reel off some years?
1: mental, um, mental health, too?
0: Uh, well, there are the three big ones are in terms of mental health are reduced reduction in anxiety symptoms, reduction in depressive symptoms, and improvement in cognitive function. Um. Uh, you know, probably. I'm not sure if you'd count sleep as a mental health thing, but it improves sleep. Exercise improves sleep as well. But mm. but redu- reduced anxiety, reduced depression. I think you know most people would prefer to be less anxious and depressed. You know, if given the option. Yeah, I
1: don't think uh, cho- why well, you choose to want to be anxious or depressed. Um,
0: and so exercise is fantastic for for both of those things, and also for um, improving cognitive function. So it it uh, it's uh, reduces and delays onset of dementia, um, and improves improves cognitive function even in people who already have dementia. So it doesn't cure dementia, but it 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 is beneficial. You know, reduce it slows the progression, it
1: delays the saying. onset of
0: it, yeah,
1: doesn't
0: it? Yeah, and delays and also it, delays onset, Alzheimer's. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. So, uh, yeah, and so. I think you know it is i mean it definitely is possible to for exercise to become an addiction and for it to be excessive and for it to have you know, negative impacts on mental health and physical health, but it's yeah. like anything i mean if you if you drink like fourteen liters of water a day it's not good for your health
1: yeah exactly
0: you know? so like the the <laughs> the the dose makes the poison, <laughs> but I think you know for ninety nine percent of the population you know doing too much exercise is not not a, a risk no. <laughs> it's doing too little doing that too is a risk
1: and that's what we want to yeah. as instructors to be promoting that we need to be encouraging people to be doing more to challenge themselves more to um yeah i just don't think i don't know can we talk about slow and fast and this slow and controlled. All right, tell me you're about
0: this. Well, we started to talk about that. All right, the stigma. What do you want to say about that?
1: I can still do something controlled if I'm doing it fast. No. What about? No. I can. I definitely can.
0: No, no, no! <laughs> not possible.
1: No way. If you're not going <laughs> slow, you can't be controlled. Tennis players. Football what about players. people who can
0: do like really amazing card tricks with their hands? You know, like and shuffle yeah. the cards in different directions and all that.
1: What about controlled? Simone
0: Biles doing a quadruple backflip? Yeah, and landing in a perfect position. What
1: yeah, about she hasn't hurt herself, does martial she?
0: artists? Nah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that is a mistake that I think a lot of people in Plutus World seem to make because I do see those words slow and controlled almost joined at the hip like Siamese twins.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And I think, yes, it's possible to be slow and controlled, and it's also possible to be fast and controlled. And, Mm -hmm. in fact, part of the definition of high skill is being able to do something fast with high precision, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, for example, I don't know, throwing a ball from the outfield and it landing exactly in the catcher's mitt or whatever. Like, that's fast and controlled. So – yeah, I mean, like, just basically think of any sport apart from, I don't know, snooker. What is um, snooker? And, what yeah, is snooker? <laughs> it's like billiards.
1: It's what? 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 Is this something I should billions. know about What's billiards? Like pool, pool. Oh, pool. You know? Well, like, pool
0: is like what you play at the pub, but snooker yeah. is like what they play for.
1: But you still push the the thing fast. You still use force and well, power. And go, no. Yeah. No, I guess, maybe that's why but, I'm so bad at it. Maybe that's why I can't do it because I'm doing it too I mean, fast.
0: <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not a snooker player, so I can't, you know, have an educated opinion. But just from what I see, it doesn't look like there's a lot of speed and power involved. It looks like it's more about precision than it is about speed and power. <laughs> yeah, true.
1: What a strange name, snooker. Why do you think they call it snooker?
0: Yeah. It's weird. No idea whatsoever.
1: Anyway, digressing. Um, um,
0: yeah, so it is possible. So it is definitely possible to be controlled and be fast. So why does that, you know, why is that a problem for you? Because people say people are wrong about things all the time. Why does this particular thing, I think, you know, get up your nose?
1: I think what anno- what annoys about, what it and in- makes me annoyed is um, as a teacher and a participant that if I feel like I can't do the exercise fast in the class, then uh, – I don't feel like I'm being challenged. Um, and then as a teacher or and a participant, let's go with both. Um, when you're saying to your clients for it to be slow and controlled all the time, it's that careful movement of them being mm. very like conscious of their movement, therefore probably making them a bit like scared to move because they've got to really think slowly of doing the movement and yeah, it's just kind of a bit fear inducing, a mm. uh,
0: little bit. This is, all right. So this, this to me cuts to the heart of a paradox that I think uh, about fairly often, which is that this whole idea of concentrating on the movement, and this comes from Joseph Pilates, who wrote about it a lot in Return to Life. And, you know, it's actually one of the Six principles of Pilates that were introduced by Friedman and Eisen in their um, book in the sort of 80s. That, you know, one of the principles was concentration. And so, even though Joseph did introduce those principles, but anyway, that we get, we talk, we hear a lot in the Pilates world about this, you know, concentrate on the movement, concentrate, concentrate, think about what you're doing. And I think that's paradoxical because. You know, when you truly, and I talked about this with John Howard Steele, who was Joseph's mm-hmm. student. Uh, and, and when, you know, it's paradoxical because when you actually get into a flow state, you know, when you're in that state where you lose yourself in the activity, whatever you're doing, if you're playing tennis or doing Pilates or whatever, and you lose yourself and you, you, you literally don't have a thought. You just exist in the moment and you are just, doing the thing and it's it's rewarding intrinsically for its own sake you're not doing it because you want something although that might have been why you walked into the door to go to the class or whatever but in that moment it's just inherently enjoyable to do the yeah. thing uh, and so that flow state where you 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 are thoughtless and you are just carried away in in the activity you know like your dog is when you play ball with them you know they just they, they don't have a thought in their head. Although you could argue dogs don't have a thought in their head most of the time. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, that experience of flow is a mindless experience. You know, it, the whole point of it is you don't have a thought, you know. So therefore you're, you're not, not thinking, thinking about your body. You're not thinking about your body. You are mm. just in your body, right? You're in your body, but you're not thinking about your body. Hmm. And so this is what John Howard Steele reckons and I agree was the intention behind Joseph's whole you know system of doing this you know sequenced choreographed moves that you just get into a flow state as you do these moves right you you hmm. become mindless right and that is the the connection of you know the integration of mind and body right and the integration of mind and body is where you actually lose that distinction between mind and body. And it's, you're no longer a mind thinking about your body. You just are a bot, you know, like you are mm. and you just do, right? And so this is, this is what happens when you work really hard. Like we said at the start of the conversation, where you get to a certain level of intensity, you literally cannot think, right? You just, all you can do is move, right? And that is a flow state. That is where you get out of your mind. And the opposite of that, in my view, is actually where you're consciously thinking about and controlling the movement. Like it's, it's the exact 180-degree polar opposite of being in a flow state is when you're consciously thinking about your movement. It's like it's the, it's the opposite. But mm. people, I think, all the time confuse this matter and think that, you know, consciously controlling the movement is the point. And to me, that's like, no, the point is to not consciously control a move. Yeah, exactly. The point is to not think about
1: it. Yeah, exactly. I think they come from a place of like trying to have some like body awareness um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, But it is being taken away from the flow state.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you on that. I think – I'm conflicted about the whole idea of body awareness being a good thing.
1: I, I like. I, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you, Raf. I'm just trying to <laughs> keep everyone happy out there. I'm just saying that, like, there's nothing, you know, as long as long as you've got, ah, oh, I don't know, like, um, I don't even know. I like if you've got an intention behind why you're teaching, then then that, like. And you're, and you're, and then you're ticking off the goals for the intention of why you're teaching. Um, cause I do think, and this is like, I do think that some people don't know why they're teaching anymore or they don't know why they're, they're, they've chosen that exercise or they've chosen that, um, you know, uh, so I think there's not a lot of critical thinking. <sighs> No, I'm not going to say that. That doesn't. I mean, I've said it. <laughs> Can we cut out that part? Um, like, yeah, I think. Yeah, no, no, just,
0: we're not going to cut out that part. So you're going to have to uh, dig yourself dig yourself out of the hole and, and tell us why we shouldn't be offended by that.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's so hard these days. Um, uh, I think. Like, I think. I think. I think, and I've, we've spoken about this before, that. You know there are some there are some instructors out there that are doing this as a side job or they've just started, um, and it depends on their training as well. Maybe this is what like that's what their their training has told them to do in the class, um, but maybe they haven't thought about why why they are, why they are doing what they're doing or why they are teaching what they're teaching or why they're putting their exercise, why are they putting that exercise in there. Why is that exercise put in there? Why, you know, just why, why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? I have no idea why I started talking about this. Why did I start talking can about help, this, rough?
0: Can I help you out? Please. <laughs> um, I reckon, and this was me, right? This was me when I was first teaching, that you learn all of these exercises. Like you go through your certification, you learn 500 plus exercises and like, yeah, you kind of know stuff and and probably you're if you're the sort of person who signs up for a comprehensive Pilates certification, you like to really learn things properly and you put in a massive effort to really learn it and you learned all of the exercises and the things, but you still don't feel like you get it. And mm-hmm. so you know all the exercises and you learned all the class plans you're supposed to teach and you learned all the different, you know, rules and regulations about how you're meant to do it. But it doesn't really make sense to you totally. You don't feel like you could take it and then if somebody came in with a different condition, like you would be able to like just reason it out and figure out what to do for that person that's a bit different. And so I think that is why people like – that is why they don't have a rationale for why they're teaching an exercise. It's not because they're not curious. It's not because they're not dedicated. It's not because they're not smart. It's because when they were taught – They were taught in a way that didn't encourage or, or, yeah, didn't encourage critical thinking, didn't encourage Mm. a deeper, deeper level of understanding about, about the why. And so it's just they haven't been exposed to that kind of thinking. I reckon everybody who's in this industry is here because they deeply want to help people and love, you know, what we do. But I just think, Some of us haven't been given the correct tools yet.
1: Mm. Yeah. That's
0: why we do this podcast.
1: Yeah, exactly. Try and make people understand things. Yes.
0: So, all right, I can't even remember what the heck we're talking about, but um, we're talking about slow and controlled.
1: Slow. Oh, so Uh, yeah, can you quickly just go, like, just do some fun little science facts from like, uh, flow uh, versus fast. Like some people go, oh, well, if you go slow down, then it's actually going to be harder for you, which sometimes it is. Oh, yeah.
0: All right. Um, I like the way you think of me as like just a you press a button and science
1: facts come out. <laughs> science facts. <beep. laughs>
0: um, all right. Well, uh, if so I've got nothing against going slow. Right. So I actually, when I do Pilates and because we've been doing a bunch of Pilates classes, uh, normally I just do my own practice. And so I go at my own speed. So I don't think of myself as going fast or slow because I just go at the speed I go at. But we've been auditioning a lot of instructors recently. And so we've been doing a lot of classes with people teaching us. And so they've been queuing us and I've been like, fuck, I go really slow. I'm, I'm going slower than everybody else, and that's just because I I don't know why, but I just like doing I just like Being going slow. slow. So so I'm not against going slow, but um, when you want to get strong, um, the best thing is to go fast. The best thing is to go as fast as you can, because when you try and move as fast as possible, you recruit more motor units, you recruit more muscle fibers. Uh, and so when you recruit more muscle fibers, you can move uh, more weight. And when you move more weight, you get stronger, you know, when I say weight, you know, load springs, resistance, body weight, whatever, you know, more resistance. So yeah, it's, it's pretty foundational to strength training that you move as fast as possible. Um, and I'm, you know, I think just about all strength researchers would agree on that. Um, mm. There is kind of a, a leftover misconception that a lot of bodybuilders, I think, probably used to have, probably don't have it as much anymore, this concept of time under tension, mm-hmm. of like how much time you have a muscle fiber under tension. And that's not really – that's not really – doesn't really seem to be an important factor, like the amount of time it's under tension. It's the maximum tension that you put it under. Like, So if it's how much tension you put it under – not how long it's under tension for. That's important. And you develop more tension when you go fast. You develop more tension. So it hurts more when you go slow, right? But that's not the same thing as – it burns more, you know, but that's not the same thing as getting stronger.
1: Uh, Okay. See, like – so if you were to do – say if you're doing a pike to plank – uh, reverse pike to plank, hands-on carriage, feet-on platform. So I would teach that slowly. Um, so there's no difference between doing that quick and doing that slow in terms of strength? Because uh, what if you're like holding the plank for three seconds and then you slowly lift well, your I hips would, up and you're I holding would, your plank for
0: three I seconds? I would say that a pike to plank is an endurance move. Yes. So slowness is your friend there.
1: Builds. And there's
0: nothing wrong with endurance like endurance is important as well you know
1: but wouldn't you be strengthening your core there Raph? because well, gravity's.
0: Yeah, but the strength the strength aspects really if you can do more than 10 reps if you can do an exercise for more than say 12, 15 seconds, you're not working on strength you're working on endurance. you know and that's not a hard stop. It's not like, you know, at 12 seconds you're working on strength, at 13 seconds you're working on endurance. It's like the shorter period of time you can work for, the more it's going to emphasize strength and the longer period of time you can work for at a given intensity, the more it's going to emphasize endurance. So if we do a pike to plank, right, and I've got my hands on the rails, so I'm facing Mm -hmm. the pulleys, Mm -hmm. right, if we put on all springs and I'm like, holy fuck, I can only do six reps and I'm cooked, that's do you a strength think you exercise. could do
1: that? Do you think you could do that on all springs? I
0: don't know. It's not <laughs> I'm going to try it tomorrow.
1: <laughs> right, but <laughs> if you
0: can't, if you can't do more, if you can't do any more than ten reps, that's a strength exercise, right? But if you can hold it for a minute, or if you can rep out to like thirty or forty reps, that's an endurance exercise.
1: So if you had a client that could do pike to planks on a like say they're doing in a blue spring, and they could mm-hmm. do it for 20 seconds, would you be like, and you wanted we uh, wanted to get stronger, would you go over and change no, that That's
0: pretty close. That's pretty close. 30 yeah, seconds. 20 seconds.
1: 40, 50 seconds. At that point, I'd be starting Five thinking, minutes. Yeah,
0: we're, <laughs> we're, we're, you're, the world record for the plank is something like five hours. Some Jesus, five I'd get hours. so bored.
1: <laughs> I'd need to um, And need to you move. couldn't
0: even, like, get on your phone because, like, your hands are just, like. Yeah,
1: you couldn't floor. even get on your phone. You couldn't even scroll Instagram.
0: <laughs> what happens if you're like listening and one of your AirPods falls out or something? Ah! You're here for another four and a half hours.
1: <laughs> you have to suck it up and just do it. I wonder what they did. Um, I wonder if they watched the TV or something. What would do your AirPods had to even last something? for
0: five hours? No. You know? Wouldn't. Um, anyway, so, all right, so that's a good point. So when you're doing a plank, your if it, on a lighter spring is really hard as well, right? So just the plank itself, like if you're doing, say, a long stretch, Mm. on a really light spring, that's really hard. So if I think about like a full plank on no springs, I don't think I could hold that for more than 15 seconds, right, if I push out so my shoulders aren't above my hands. Are know,
1: we facing out. forward now, hands on foot, feet on carriage. Fla-
0: hand- yeah, right. yeah, Right. So a plank on zero springs, I don't reckon I could hold that for 15 seconds. So that would be a strength exercise, right? Yeah. But when you get stronger, then you can hold it for a bit longer Right, and by the time you get up to being able to hold it for thirty seconds, it's not really emphasizing strength anymore. It's emphasizing endurance. Endurance, yeah. Right, and that that tells you that you need to add more load,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right, in order to make it a strength exercise again.
1: Love this. And Love in the this. case
0: of a long stretch with the hands on the bar, that would just mean push out a bit further because all you're doing is lengthening the lever there, which puts more load on the midsection.
1: Okay, I'm writing all this down. I feel like we're in the lectures of the diploma again, but we're on a podcast, so that's confusing. <laughs> oh,
0: well, you know, there's a there's a fuzzy line between the podcast and the diploma.
1: It is, but you know what? It really like that's what helped me doing the d- diploma, listening to the podcast as well, and that helped me sink in all the information and learn more because you're listening well, to it as you're walking the, and.
0: Yeah, the podcast. Real, I mean, it's just you know me talking to interesting people on the podcast who I think are doing fun and cool shit, and then in the diploma, it's what's different is, the. I mean, we basically talk about similar topics, but the diploma is much more organized and structured and we've thought about it a lot and refined Mm. it a lot until it's at a point where it takes you on a whole journey from A to Z, you know, and systematically walks you through the, the process of becoming awesome, whereas the podcast is just, you know, we're just chatting about fucking cool shit and, you know, one week we talk about eating disorders and the next week we talk about strength training and the next week we talk about opening a business. And it's like, there's no like sequential mm. journey to the podcast. It's you just, you still like, do hey. education
1: it though. You still, you still yeah. give fun facts and that's what yeah. is great to listen to.
0: But the. I mean, that's but that's what I love doing, and that's what this podcast is about: is helping pl- players, and instructors become better, happier, and more financially successful using science-based tools. Hundred so percent, that's what we
1: do. Can I just say to the listeners as well? And I'm not against flow, or I'm not against going slow. Um, I still use flow in my class for my slow parts of my class, and there are quick, strong, um. Let's say smashy like exercises, but like I still work like I still love going slow, like in the light leg work and the light, um, and the light like planking work and stuff like that. I'm not against slow, and I'm not against flow.
0: <laughs> I'm glad we got that out there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. All right. So I feel like we're kind of getting to the end. Is there anything that you've you feel like we've missed? Do you want to add in there?
1: I do want to say that people get bored very easily, and I'm one of those people. Um, so, like, I, I like it. Yeah, I think it is very important that you do need to, um, obviously, keep to your keep to your personality and don't try and be someone else. But to like a class should be a dinner and a show. Like, you've got like the music, and then you're entertaining people, but then you know you're like chatting to them and encouraging them, they can be, they can get, they can, they can get better results. And, you know, it all comes down to, again, your intention of the class, but, um, yeah, give them some pep in their step, <laughs> have fun and like, you know, have some good playlists. Music is key. Music is very key to great classes. I found an app actually that you can, um, DJ, your songs, like you can mesh your two, like you can mesh two songs together, then it all kind of like goes, in. anyway, I'm going to become a DJ if the Pilates mm. industry doesn't do well for me. I guess
0: um, I'm just pondering what you're saying there about dinner and a show. And I think I, I would not 100% agree. I would say class needs to be an experience.
1: Yes, and that's some what I people mean.
0: Like, some people like a dinner and a show experience and some people just like a choreographed exercise session where they don't have to think and they don't have to use their own willpower to do it because someone's going to kick their ass if they don't do it.
1: Yes, but it should be a stimulating environment. That's what I mean. Like don't sing to them and don't dance to them. That's not what I mean. I mean like have a stimulating environment for them um, so that like it's an exciting experience to come to, whether whether that means like you're the lighting in the studio or the music comes down, it comes up, or um, yeah, like you just need to stimulate stim- your um your your clients, and then it might be fun with for you.
0: I'm with you on the music thing, and I totally agree on the playlist. Basically, having peaks and troughs of intensity yeah. and volume and tempo as you you know work through the peaks and troughs of your class. Um, so I'm totally with you there. And uh but I think, you know, I mean, I don't know how you do it, but I used to spend way too long putting playlists together to get them to be peaking in just the right time in the class and
1: stuff Yeah, like you've that. got to like to do it. Like I love doing it. So, you know, you've got to <laughs> love to do it.
0: Um All right. So dinner and a show, and that's in that's code for just make it an experience and make it stimulating and make it exciting.
1: Maybe, Raf, you should come do one of my classes at, at Rise, and then you can experience I'm this. I'm scared too. This is your formal invitation. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will
0: do it. I will do it. Although I'm a bit scared.
1: Yeah, I'd be scared too. <laughs> do you know what someone said to someone the other day? They said, "So, well, uh, a client said to another client, and that client told me that <laughs> there's a time of the month that you can go to Amy's class because <laughs> she's more relaxed and more chilled." I'm like, no. I'm not that brutal. Come on now. Ah, that's interesting.
0: So when you said when you started saying that, you said the first half of that phrase. There's a time of month that you can go to Amy's class. I thought they were, I thought that the client was talking about when they were in a certain stage of their mental no, cycle. No,
1: apparently that, that me. is a thing. Right. it is yeah right. yeah yeah. you're definitely supposed to the first and i might be wrong on this um again this is information that i'm sourcing from uh someone who told me about this but uh apparently your first few days of your menstrual cycle you have more chilled out exercise yeah. walks um light yoga and then the last few days of menstrual cycle that's when you can just like come to my class
0: <laughs> yeah i think yeah again i i can't remember the exact face um Probably going to get it wrong, but I think it was luteal phase based training. Uh, so basically, when you increase the intensity at certain phases of the menstrual cycle and then decrease the intensity at other phases, uh, there's a fair, a fair amount of research suggesting that women actually get better strength training results mm. when basing their, their training around the menstrual cycle. But that's not what they were saying. They were saying, you teach more chilled at certain times of your menstrual cycle.
1: Apparently. And apparently they have a whole timetable of when to come to my class and when not to come to my class. I'm glad. So they've got
0: Amy's moon phases on their kitchen wall yeah, there and they're like, oh, I'm not going this week.
1: Not going this week. She's not in a good stage of her menstrual cycle. Oh, she's obligating. No way. I'm not going there. <laughs> And I was wondering why this woman wouldn't come to my class. She'd only come like once a month. And I was like, why do I only see you once a month? And she's just like, well, it's that time of the month, isn't it, Amy? Like what? well, it, my
0: next question to you is like, is she right?
1: I don't think so, but she could be, she could be right. I don't know. I'd, th- I'd like to think that I'm quite consistent. Sometimes well, maybe, I am harder than if I've been to like say say I went to JT's class last last week. Mm-hmm, I have a mm-hmm, ramped you're all it
0: up. Inspired, yeah, yeah. And
1: Laura's like, oh, but, I shouldn't have taken you to Adelaide.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. It could be interesting if if you were you, I wouldn't do it. But, you know, if you were interested to look back through your uh class your, 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 your booking management software
1: mm. and your
0: class attendance and match that up against your menstrual cycle and just go, huh, hmm. are there any patterns here?
1: Maybe I should wrap. Maybe
0: <laughs> Hi, should. everyone's staying away when I'm ovulating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is there something that I should know about here? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Who needs an uh, app when you can just look at <laughs> the cast? <glass laughs>
0: look, look at Amy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's uh, crazy.
0: Well, this has been a fun conversation. This has been Thanks fun. So um, and
1: mm. if there is anyone out there that – um wants uh, me to come to their class, if they teach, I don't know, a different style that I have said that you, like, it's not hard or if it's, I don't know, something that I've said about, please message me on Instagram. Um,
0: mm-hmm. and I'd love
1: to come to your class. I'd love, always love to be proven r- wrong, always. And I hope and I haven't offended anyone today. This is all in the, the terms and conditions at the bottom of the <laughs> 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 okay, Ralph, thanks so much. See ya. See ya.
0: After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist. Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends, and you become known as the go to expert in your area